0: finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply.
1: One thing I always ask people is what does enough look like to you? And it's really interesting to hear how people answer because some people don't answer in financial terms at all, which I think is really revealing and great, like they're like, enough is having friends and family that love me. And I have that. So I have enough. And other people, are, uh, you know, I'm one of these people who has like two different tiers of enough. There's like, I have enough right now, for sure. But you know, what would be really great? Is if I had, um, <laughs> um, so I think that that's an interesting question to ask yourself. Um, because it can put in perspective, like maybe you do have enough right now.
0: Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. Be honest with me. On a scale of 1 to 10, how curious are you about how other people spend and save their money? If you're like me, (laughs) you're probably pretty curious. And it makes sense. Money is still a taboo topic, mainly because money is something that we all need. We can't exist without money. And I know that brings up a lot of feelings like fear, shame, guilt, embarrassment, regret, judgment, just to name a few. But look, one thing we all have in common is we have all made some epic money mistakes. (laughs) We all have not known what to do with our money, and sometimes we just don't do anything. And we all have felt like we are just always working from behind and thinking your neighbor across the street is so much further ahead than you. Maya Lau, host of the podcast Other People's Pockets, is with us today, and she loves talking to people just like you about these taboo money topics and more. How much money you make, how you spend your money, your biggest money blunders, and how tricky money is in relationships. While you might have a fascination with getting a behind-the-scenes look at someone else's finances, there's actually a lot you can learn and apply to your money journey. For instance, maybe you can go a little easy on yourself for spending way more than you actually wanted to at a concert this year. I mean, you had to buy one piece of every merch, right? So join us for this fun conversation about other people's pockets, human stories, and the lessons you can learn from listening to some very taboo money conversations. Let's start talking. Maya, welcome to Everyone's Talking Money. It is so good to have you with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I have to be honest, uh, when I was prepping for our conversation, I was really excited about it because my friends would probably refer to me as somebody who is nosy, (laughs) So if I'm I'm out on a walk, like let's say it's evening time and people have their like curtains open and there's lights on in the house, like I'm I'm probably gonna look inside and see what's going on. Not that I not that I always <laughs> see what's going on, but it's sort of my you know little fascination. My husband's always like, Oh, look over here, not at whatever's going in the house. And so I think the thing that I loved when I was a practicing financial planner was getting to look under people's financial hood, if you will, to see, you know, what's going on, what's under there. And there's always a difference between what we, uh, you know, put out to the world and what's Mm -hmm. kind of going on behind the scenes. So I thought this would be such a great chat, because in the trailer to your podcast, you say that you're nosy about other people's finances. And you want to ask them how much money do they make? And what have they figured out that the rest of us haven't, which are great questions. So I'm wondering, do we all have this fascination with getting a sneak peek at someone else's money situation because money still feels like this very taboo topic?
1: Yeah, I think that everyone is curious about other people's money. Some people push that curiosity down and say, it's rude. I was taught to not want to, taught to not ask those questions. But I think that deep down, of course, everyone's interested about money because money is the it, it's how the world works and it's kind of the um you know it's kind of the engine that makes your life work in in one way or or the other and and so i think that we're all curious about you know that lawyer who lives down the street from me and has a fancy car like what is going on there is he actually <laughs> wealthy or the or the person who doesn't seem to have a job and they have all this Nice stuff. Like you want to know the truth of, are they in massive debt? Do they have family money? I just want to know. So yeah, I I think we do. And I think that it's, um, you know, I've, I've heard a saying that um, being really curious about other people is, is ultimately a way of being curious about yourself. Like you, you kind of want to know how others live so that you can know how you should live or how you want to try to live. Um, So I think that I think it's universal. I think it's just degrees of whether we are open about how nosy we really are.
0: (laughs) I like that. You know, I'm thinking about I have a dad who is many generations older than I am. He's actually in his early 80s. And he, you know, we used to go to lunch together and we would drive past like the gym at 12, one in the afternoon. And he's very old school. You go to work, you work eight hours a day. This is how you make your money. And he would always say, what are these people doing? Like, who are these people yeah. who are working out at
1: What are noon? they doing
0: yeah. in the parking lot? And then the parking lot is packed. And I'm like, dad, this is a different generation and we have a different way that we work and a different way that we interact with money. And still to this day, he just can't understand it. I think it's really interesting.
1: Yeah. You know, I admit that I have that a little bit, not as much judgmentally, but just really curious. When I first moved to LA, it was from Louisiana. And I also had always had jobs that were very, you're working all day. I didn't have a break. And coming to LA at all hours of the day, you would see people in coffee shops working and you're like, are you writing a script or are you hanging out? Like, and And then I finally kind of got into the mode of, yeah, people are working at all throughout the day. And recently I also have been working more with my circadian rhythms and my, you know, what parts of the day do I have energy? What parts of the day is it time for me to take a break? And now I've embraced, like, actually it's, useful if I work out at 1 p.m., because that's what works for my body. It doesn't work for me to keep trying to concentrate at 1 p.m. <laughs> yeah. So... um Yeah, I think that I think we all are looking around um, and either judging or being curious about what is really going on with other people.
0: I love you talking about circadian rhythm. We had a guest on our show who was she was talking about it in terms of uh, fertility and people that were having infertility issues. And she talked about some just sort of natural things that you could do that didn't cost a lot of money that could, you know, for females, like help us reset our hormones and things like that. And I started one of the things she talked about was going outside in the morning with shoes off and putting your feet in the in the ground and looking up at the sky and you know resetting your circadian rhythm. I thought, okay, I, I'm not trying to get pregnant, but let me give this a try. And I swear to you, there's so much power in just doing these simple things for your body. And I have found that it also helps. when when you're talking about like your rhythms and knowing your rhythms and your work rhythms, it also helps you when you're thinking about money or goals or even just work in general, be more productive.
1: Totally. I've also heard that in terms of sleep, like getting getting better restful sleep, it's helpful to see sunlight, not direct sunlight, but be exposed to sunlight outside in the morning and then also in the evening, like natural kind of sundown. Um, But yeah, paying attention to your rhythms, I think ultimately can help you be more productive and maybe make more money because I am somebody who I have intense focus and creativity from about 9am to noon.
0: And then it goes away.
1: (laughs) And then it it goes through a dip. And then I get into recovery phase, which is like 2pm to 5pm. And yeah, I I I I have to just forgive myself that I can't be as productive and focused. Like I just try to not schedule things now um, that are not in the right window because I have to <laughs> forgive myself that those things might not happen if they don't happen in the right window for me. I love it. I love
0: this idea of forgiveness too. And I'm I'm wondering as we as we talk about money and people sharing their sort of you know hidden secrets about money. Do you ever envision where there might be a time that we get to where we're also open about sharing the things we really like have effed up about money and not just the successes that we we love to just go around and tout?
1: Yeah, I think that I'll be honest, when I was first conceiving of my show, I think that I... So I knew that I wanted to talk to people about their money, specifically how much money they made, the numbers, how much they had saved, etc., etc. But I was curious about people who had kind of made it or who had done something good that we could all steal from their wisdom. And over time, I've realized that that sort of growth hacker, like always, you know, always moving up thing, is actually really boring. And it is really important to just hear from people who are just people and sometimes they've made mistakes sometimes they're not making a lot of money sometimes the concept of even talking about money is not is pretty foreign to them and I think that that has been so interesting and I do think that having more of these conversations where it's not all about your success or this is how I made more money it's Here's what I don't know. And let's all share that. And let's kind of share in the fact that we're all conflicted. We are all just on our journey. Sometimes we're doing better than others, but like, let's be honest about the fact that none of us really know how to do this. So, um, that to me has felt a lot more interesting and heartwarming. And I think it's connected with listeners too, just to hear from normal people who. Make blunders like anyone else.
0: Yeah, I think one of the biggest ahas I had uh, when I worked with people was that, regardless of age or demographic or even the amount of money they made, we all basically have made the same version of the same money mistakes, and that there there wasn't anything just truly original that we're but we're all you know really. Quiet about sharing those those blunders, as you say, because it it does. There's so much around money of of fear and shame and judgment and regret. And we we operate in this very scarcity-driven society. I mean, we just you turn on the TV and it's, you know, right in your face. People want you to feel like you don't have enough time or enough money or and I, I think that 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 sharing the blunders, there's a human element to that that I think really brings money to, to light in a different way.
1: Yeah. And I think that the the more I talk to people, even just in life or just living life, the more I'm convinced that, you know, almost everyone is hustling, you know, everyone. And yes, some people make a lot more money and are more comfortable. And I'm not saying that everyone is just suffering in the same way, but everyone has their struggle and everyone, fe- almost everyone feels like they're working really hard and, you know, everyone's the underdog in their own story. So I think that, um yeah, it's not, you have this idea of like, oh, this person, you know, they make, $500,000 a year. Well, when you actually talk to them, there's a lot of things that they're struggling with. <laughs> and you know, you might not want their problems. So um, yeah, just that perspective is, I think, important to keep in mind. I love
0: that you might not want their problems, right? Yeah. We, have, we have this habit of the grass is always greener. That's yeah. just I feel like how we're trained. You've had you've had so many interesting guests on your show, including one of our favorites, Kath Spires. Who you had in that episode. She's a food historian, and she's uh, been a couple times on our show, host of the Smart Mouth podcast. And I had so much fun just listening to different people on your show talk about their upbringing and talk about the role money plays in their lives. And even through episodes where people would have their own sort of aha moment, like maybe they were never asked this question about money before. And it sort of was like, you know, took them back a little bit. I'm wondering, you know, has there been any you know, shocking revelations from guests on the show or, um,
1: you know, any many money confessions that people have shared? Yeah, I don't know about like absolutely shocking um things. But you know, there's interesting moments, like I interviewed this couple about couples finances, and they went by the initials D and A because they wanted to remain anonymous. And one of them is, is really good with money, good saver, looks at the budget, the other one is more of a spender. And the one who's more of a saver was like, you know, I dip into my savings all the time to help us cover for XYZ. And I don't even talk about it. I don't even let my partner no because whatever you know it's it's part of being a family and and the other and I said to the other one did you know that she does that and they said no and you know it's little moments like that that's why I think is interesting about interviewing a couple is you kind of have this live fact checker or live sort of reaction person sitting right there to be like, "Mm, that's not what happened or whatever. Um, that That was just one moment where I think there's a lot of little daily things that happen with money with how we interact with it that, you know, even our partners don't really know. And they even said, you know, afterward, like on the drive home, we're going to have some things to talk about because some <laughs> stuff came up that we didn't know. <laughs> yeah,
0: I believe it. I mean, couples and money—it is always a charged situation. I was working with a couple once, and the husband made this big revelation because he had to. Because I was sitting there with numbers right in front of the husband. What was and the it? Wife. Well, we were, he had hired me to help him with his credit score. And, and you know, there were a couple who on paper, they had this amazing house in LA. They lived in a very affluent neighborhood, drove all the nice cars, had the nice watches. I mean, you name it. And I was thinking, my gosh, you know, wh- what possibly could be up with their credit score? And so When we started working together, you know, I asked them a lot of questions about how do they feel about money, what are their goals, how they, you know, lots of things before we get to credit score. And it turned out that the husband had basically been maxing out, I think it was like 19 or 20 credit cards, like just trying to afford the lifestyle that the wife had gotten accustomed to. And had she had no idea. She had no idea. And so, you know, they had to start making some really tough money decisions. And she was in the place of, I'm, I'm not going to change the way I operate. Like, this is how I do things. My <laughs> kids are going to go to private schools. Like, this is the way my life works. Mm. <laughs> it's not going to work any other way. And he was over here like, sorry, but, you know, we have to figure something out. And they got in basically a knockdown drag out argument where I had to step in the middle and separate two people. And we had a couple of money sessions after that. They were very contentious. We finally got to the place where they were both willing to have conversations and and, and work together. But I, it's just so tough because like you say, there's so much even in our own lives that is hidden kind of in the shadows of our partner. And we don't want to talk about those things.
1: Yeah. And actually, um, we, my husband and I just sort of as a trial period, but I actually think we kind of want to keep doing this. So we use YNAB, the You Need a Budget yes. budgeting software, which I love, but it is very involved if you want to keep it up and make sure you're allocating things correctly. I've been using it for years, but I have just gotten so behind. And so we hired basically a personal accountant to who uses YNAB. So she goes into our wine app. She doesn't actually have actual access to our bank accounts, it's just to our wine app and does our budgeting for us and then and then analyzes it at the end of the month and says, "Okay, so it really looks like you spent more on this or this is where that reimbursement went to and then you moved it to savings and and it's I wouldn't say that I, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say that she's like discovered some secret thing yet, but like it is more revealing it's ultimately good, but because I've been more the one who's like, I'm this YNAB head. And then my husband's like, I just trust whatever you're doing. I'm a little bit like, is she going to realize that like, I've been doing this wrong and be like, um, because he's, he's now included. Like he now sees the kind of weekly and monthly analyses. Um, So yeah, it's just like, there's a lot that's like, even when you're very interested in money, and and on top of it there's a lot that's like what is i don't i don't know I'm if we not, really want to know yeah. <laughs> have this third party like looking at our expenditures but ultimately it's good and i think that it's like helping us to actually stay on top of things i think it's kind of that feeling of like if you're standing in the street like naked <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> totally it's looking like looking someone's at you. Looking. Yeah. yeah and she even made a comment once like oh i see that you're in LA right now traveling and it was a little like, yeah, we are. You're seeing that because you can see where we're spending things. <laughs> like, um, Yeah, it's weird. <laughs>
0: but That's where but. I think the, the the fear of judgment comes up yeah. with money. And, right. and that's what gets so many of us just to retreat even further yeah. because it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, how, know. how did you ask me that question? Did you ask me that question in an accusatory way or in a, just a curious way? Because yeah. those two things are very different.
1: Right yeah so we'll see hopefully <laughs> hopefully it'll all be good
0: <laughs> what do you think we as the listeners can learn or implement ourselves in hearing about other people's money and uh, in the blunders and the good and what, what you know what isn't good
1: i think that it's ultimately just about hearing human stories and hear and meeting people and this is ultimately about getting to know somebody through the lens of their money. There's so many conversations that we could either have or we could hear about where someone's talking about the latest book they wrote or whatever it is that they want to promote. Very seldom is anyone trying to promote their personal finances as a topic, you know? So this (laughs) is kind of a way of getting to know someone through their bank account, basically. And then it's also like, well, how did you get there? How how did you know, how does your work land you there? What is your work like, etc? I think that we can just um, I think that it's ultimately a way of hopefully not feeling as bad about ourselves. Like, on the one hand, it is hard. And I just talked to this um, financial therapist, Barry Tesler, who talked about kind of the emotional and physical feelings that money produces in our body, particularly when we hear about how much someone else makes. And if they make a lot more, um, you can feel like, oh, like I don't relate to you. You know, I judge you. You better be amazing at your job because that's a ridiculous amount of money, whatever. Um, There's that. But then hopefully there's also a sense of compassion that we can have for ourselves about like, look, you know, um, here's this person who makes a lot of money, but they actually haven't saved very much of it. And they are shameful about that. And so I don't know, we all, we all make those mistakes. Um, yeah, I think, I think that just hearing about it and, and hearing that it's a normal conversation that we can have, it's a muscle that we can learn to exercise can help us to ask the money questions in our own lives, ask for a raise, find out what we should be, Paid, you know, having those conversations, it just kind of normalizes it.
0: I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeliteme.com slash ETM and enter code ETM at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash ETM. Go to joindeletemecom slash ETM and use code ETM for 20% off. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com/etm. That's M O N A R C H M O N E Y.com/etm for your extended 30-day free trial. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot slash ETM to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash ETM. All right, Maya, welcome to Your Relationship with Money Is. So I'm going to ask you four questions and I want you to just give me the first thing that pops into your head. So question number one, if you had to describe your relationship with money as a cartoon character, what would it be and why?
1: I'm going to say Emily from the Thomas the Train series, which I only know about um, from my daughter, who's three. So Emily is a, a train and she's like seeking like she's, you know, really good at her job, but definitely like she's always seeking a best friend. And like she so I would say it's like kind of seeking and changing and evolving.
0: Love it. Number two, how many times a day would you say you think about money?
1: Oh, I mean, a lot. <laughs> um, how many times? Twenty times a day, let's say. Sounds Often. reasonable. Mm-hmm.
0: Number three, how would your life change if you had an unlimited amount of money in your bank account right now?
1: And I and I could keep it like you, it's yours, it's mine. Okay. Um it's not like mysteriously gonna go away tomorrow no van- um, no vanishing act. I think I would pare down on work that i don't really want to do and i would I would cut that out. I would fund my daughter's education right away I would do um I would like immediately put things into the buckets where I always want to put things, like um, so, like funding her education, and then maybe buying a house and just having a home that's paid off for life, and funding uh, retirement, like making sure that that like we're set for life, you know. And then it would be um, travel <laughs> and having experiences that. I and my family want to have. But I I do think I would still work, but I it would be work that I find creative, that I like doing, that connects me to other people. Um yeah, that kind of thing.
0: All right. Last question. What is the biggest money mistake you've made that maybe you haven't told anyone
1: about? Ooh. I mean, this is I feel like it's kind of boring, but it's like, I feel like I haven't saved enough, um, proportionate to how much I've made. Um, like I haven't been as intentional my whole life about always paying myself first and not touching that money. I've definitely dipped into savings to spend on things that I want. Um, so it's like kind of more like a macro look at like if I ever were to tally up, like, what's all the money I've ever made in my life? I'm sure that, like, the amount saved is not, like, whatever, 20% or more, whatever it should be. Um, And so, yeah, not having an intentionality around savings, which honestly, I still struggle with. I don't have, you know, I I, we want to buy a home, but it's sort of like, maybe, but we don't know where, we don't know when. It's sort of, so I think not having that, really specific savings goal makes it harder to save because you're just like i I'm saving money for something, something. I don't know <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: talking a little bit about that, I know you're also a big advocate for salary transparency, and there are my last count uh, about eight states and six local areas that have legislation around pay transparency. I know it's Definitely part of the conversation, but we still have we still have a really long way to go, and it's even more important for women and people of color to have this information to be empowered and to know uh, if someone's getting paid more than them and 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 you know what they're worth. I think it really gives you a sense of, of power, uh, and you can I think you know advocate for yourself in a different way than when we just kept salaries hidden. I'm curious. Tell me a little bit about, um, you know, about your your passion for for salary transparency and how that kind of comes across when you're talking to people about money.
1: Well, when I was a reporter at the LA Times, I <laughs> asked for raises many times. Well, first of all, when I was offered the job, they said, "Oh, we're gonna." Offer you the the upper end of whatever band you're in at seventy five thousand dollars a year. and of course I knew that that was bullshit, but I didn't really have a lot of leverage. I did ask around and I pushed back and I said that I wanted a hundred thousand and they said no, you know, and maybe gave me more vacation time. But the truth was I didn't have leverage. I just I wanted the job. What was I gonna do? So I said yes to that and then over time definitely found out for a fact that I was being underpaid. I was also being underpaid compared to my white male peers. Um, We ended up unionizing, and then that opened the door to a lot more salary transparency, not necessarily in terms of each person where you'd get to see how much they make, but this type of job with this many years of experience. And we were able to prove that the company was systematically underpaying um, women and people of color. Um, And I ended up getting a raise from that, Um, finally ended up getting another raise this is many years later finally ended up at one hundred k after like four or five years there. Um, so I just know firsthand that it can be really hard to get a raise. Um, and the the and it, it, first of all, it's nobody's fault if they've asked and haven't gotten one. Like there are some companies like the l a Times was that they weren't giving out raises for years and years to anyone. But um, I think it's important to arm yourself with the right information. And anytime you go into a conversation, it's not just, gee, um, can I have a raise? It, you know, it's even if you don't say this, to know that you are in the right Uh, that you are either being underpaid or you know what you should be paid based on all of your accomplishments. Um, I think it can just give you a lot of confidence going into that kind of conversation so that if there is any pushback or if there is even any nervousness, you just, you know what you're talking about. You've done your research, you've done your reporting. I tell, often tell, um, other journalists, like think about how much research and reporting we do for a story. You know, you wouldn't just interview two people and then write a story with two quotes. You would talk to at least 10 people and maybe only quote three of them. Um, So similarly, anytime you go into a salary negotiation conversation, you need to have talked to hopefully 10 plus people to get really good information about what they're being paid, what you should be getting paid, also other things about other perks, vacation, etc. So I think that it's all, it's all really important to do.
0: How can you broach the conversations with your coworkers, workers? Or how did you do it to, to figure out how much people were getting paid? Or are we in a time and place where people are more open to sharing that?
1: So a few things. Um, One is, you know, obviously, if you feel friendly and you're already kind of having that kind of conversation with a coworker, just ask. Um, A lot of times women tend to feel more comfortable talking to other women in the workplace about what they make. And that's totally great. You should do that. Um, But just Keep in mind to not only ask other women because what you really want to know is what the white men are getting paid. So, <laughs> ding, um, ding, ding. yeah. So, so part of it is you know, you can say, Hey, um, I am doing some research around my pay. I'm going to be asking for a raise, and I'm just doing some research to see if, you know, how much is okay to ask for what is reasonable, what what the pay looks like in this company. Um, I'll tell you what I make, and would you feel comfortable just telling me if that sounds fair, if that sounds in the ballpark? And often when you say that, they'll, the other person will say, well, I'll just tell you what I make. Or if they don't, then they'll at least answer your question and say, oh, you know, you're really being underpaid, or oh, I know, you know, they'll, they'll kind of give you a sense Um, there's also reaching out to people who used to be at your job, but aren't there anymore. Mm. So you could find them on LinkedIn or maybe you just know about them. Um, and they might be more open because they're not working there anymore. They don't care. They're fine telling you what they used to get paid at your company. Um, and then there's also, I reach out to a lot of people I don't know on LinkedIn. (laughs) Um, LinkedIn's pretty good that way. Yeah, which unfortunately sometimes you have to have the premium tier uh, yes. to reach out to a lot of people. <laughs> um, but it can be worth it if you just are, you know, have like a few month period where you're really working on this and reaching out to other people that are at similar company companies to yours, similar fields, and just saying the same thing. Look, this is personal research. I'm not gonna publicize this. You also don't have to tell me but I I do, it's really important to me to figure out, you know, what what is fair for me. And part of that is doing this market research. And I also want to say that sites like Glassdoor, uh, which is a site where people post anonymously how much they make and reviews about their job. Personally, I find it very inaccurate. Like yeah, I've looked okay. up what my job is on Glassdoor and it's like, that's not what I make at all. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, trust, stuff like that, I really believe in actually sort of picking up the phone. Yeah, talking to real people type of information. Um, But I think if you frame it in terms of like, this is helping me, like this is, it's not just I'm nosy. And, you know, I want you to bear all it's this is helping me as a woman or as anyone, you know, um, get paid fairly. And, And a lot of people want to help in that effort. Do you think we
0: get to a place where where sharing our salaries is is just more of the norm?
1: Yeah, I think that I think, you know, similar to so many things in our society, you know, sharing about um, a miscarriage that you had or sharing Mm. about sex or whatever, like things that used to be like people did not talk about. Now it's more it's not everybody. There's always going to be people who aren't comfortable with that. And that's okay. Um, But yeah, I I do think that we're getting closer to that. And I think that when it's in context, um, you know, I don't think that people should just be outed. Um, I don't think it should become, you know, I wouldn't want there to be like a backlash, like, oh, now, you know, there's all these negative aspects to this. But I do think that it is becoming more of a thing, especially, you know, when you talk to younger people, it's just less, there's sometimes not even any recognition that this is weird. (laughs) So
0: I love that. I love that. (laughs) I used to teach at a a college in, in Los Angeles for about 10 years. And it was amazing how open and transparent the younger generations were, and it was just so positive for me to see that they would share everything about money—the good stuff, the bad stuff, what they made, what they didn't make—and uh, and it just—it was sort of like a breath of fresh air. That um, I'm sure it's because they grew up in social media, and sharing everything is just sort of the norm that that we do as as a society and culture. But it was really refreshing that you know, people were changing their outlook of about talking about money and having it come from this perspective of it's okay.
1: And I think it, it's similar to being vulnerable in general. I mean, it's something that I'm still working on as a human being of like, you get more when you give more. So if you <laughs> are open about like, hey, I'm actually really going through something right now, you'll be surprised at someone you know the response could be oh i went through that too i've never told anyone or you know and you'll be like why don't you know i've never know i never knew that you had whatever health issue and it's like well because you know i'm only going to tell it it in a certain context in which we're sharing you know so i think that it's it's similar to that it's just being vulnerable and being willing to you know see (laughs) what the response is
0: Well, you have this really interesting background. As you mentioned, you, you're a award winning former investigative reporter, which is really cool. And I'm curious how you made the switch from investigative reporter over to talking to people about their money.
1: <laughs> um, it's funny because when I left, the LA Times, I really felt like, okay, I'm just, I'm not doing any of this anymore. I'm moving in a different direction as nothing to do, one has nothing to do with the other. And now people pointed out to me like, you know, that like you like interview people in a way that's in a, <laughs> in a way that's, that's journalistic at times. And I'm like, oh yeah. Oh, there is a connection. duh. Um, so I just, Yeah, I was an investigative reporter at the LA Times. I really loved the job for so many years and have no regrets. I worked with amazing people. I'm really proud of the work I did. Um, And after a while, though, I just was really frustrated, really about money in particular. I, Like I said, I'd asked for raises, didn't get them, and kind of started to realize, you know, even if I go to another paper, it's a little bit like same shit, different day. Like maybe (laughs) I would make a little more, but you know, and I would see people win Pulitzers and either not get a raise after that or get a minuscule raise. And it felt like so even if I'm at literally the top of my field, it doesn't translate to that much more money Mm -hmm. for me. And I was married. I had a kid. I wanted things. I wanted a house. I wanted to feel like I was growing financially. And I think also with um just my personality, the, the same things that drew me to journalism, I was so curious. And I just, you know, I always wanted to grow and learn. That same curiosity started to be sparked in the direction of what came after journalism. And it was this big, cloudy question mark. And a lot of journalists are very afraid of that and very like, well, I I don't know what I would do because I don't want to go into PR And that as if that's literally the only option. Um, And I started to kind of be curious about it the way I would be curious about an investigative story. Like, I don't know, like what, maybe I could, there's a lot of things I could do, you know, and I started to interview former journalists, people who'd like, just like me, people who'd gotten frustrated or, you know, just decided it was time for a second career. What do you do? How much money do you make? You know, do you still feel like you're a journalist? Do you? And I started to realize there's this whole community out there. There's all these other people that are like me that are like, I did this thing, but now I kind of want to remix my skills and pivot. And so I decided that I could leave. And I, I ended up working at a research firm for a little bit. And then I left that and started my own company and do part of what I do is financial research in the investment world. And then another part, big part of what I do is this podcast. So... I yeah, I just kind of um took the leap and you know, with a lot of research and felt like I had a network, but um I think I just realized that um the, the part of reporting that I loved was actually talking to people and asking questions. The part I didn't love was writing. So it was like, oh yeah, if I could just talk to people and ask questions, then we're good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. I mean, are, are there any money topics that you've tried to talk with people on the pod and maybe they're totally off mm. limits or taboo or they just won't they just won't go there with
1: you? Hmm. Well, certain people, it's, it depends on who it is. Um, I mean, certain people, they, they, they won't they won't talk about their net worth. Um, they won't talk about what class they're in, which is interesting because mm-hmm. I think about class as like it's general you know i mean it's like if if you're upper middle class so are so many other people it's not like personal to you but some people have a really hard time identifying as that and they they actually don't want the wider public to know <laughs> what class they actually are because it is such a label and because maybe their job sort of um mm, right okay puts or their job and their public persona puts them in it, like, say, more middle class, but they don't want people to know they're actually upper middle class or whatever. Interesting. Um, so that. Have, yeah, I would not have thought I know. About that That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, super interesting. Um, and I'm trying to think of, like, yeah, if there's. I mean, people understandably don't want to talk about their spouse's income and, you know, because it's not theirs to talk about, even though it very much plays into their own finances. Like when you're married, you know, I'm sorry, but like your finances are mixed. Yeah. yeah, um, Those are just some I can think of the top. But there's all there's almost always a point in the interview where I can feel like I'm going a little too far. And I try to, depending on who it is, like you know, some people really don't like to be pushed um, because then the rest of the interview they'll shut down. Other people, I feel like I can be a little like, you a little know, pushy, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> guide yeah. them in the direction, but I try. You know, it's interesting. You know, that the whole shift from investigative journalism has been really interesting for me because as a journalist depending on who I was talking to, like if it was a public official, like I would push and push and push and push. I don't care if you think I'm rude. I don't care if you think I'm, you know, whatever. It's not about how it sounds, how it sounds on tape or what you think of me, or if someone would like to listen to this. I need the information. Now, I'm not trying to have those conversations. I'm trying to be friendly. And, you know, I want money to be something that we can feel good talking about. You know, it would be counterproductive if every interview felt super adversarial and people (laughs) felt violated. That's not the kind of money conversation I think we should be having. So I've had to think in a completely different way about how to make this listenable, how to make it fun, how to make it something that feels a little bit revealing, but also ultimately everyone had a good time. That's a totally different interview than a typical investigative journalism interview.
0: What about, I'm curious about your own money upbringing. Were there any topics growing up that were, you know, taboo in your family or... Uh, any like money beliefs that, that got passed down that you kind of had to really shake off as you got into your own adulthood?
1: Yeah, I think I'm trying to think. I don't know that there's anything that was super taboo, but there's probably things I didn't even think to address. But definitely the money belief in my family was just do good work, you know, work reasonably hard and you'll get a job for a long time and hopefully it'll be making the world a better place in some way, not making a lot of money. Like you shouldn't try to become rich um, because that's (laughs) gross, but you should just try to do good work and, you know, you'll have like a good life and that's that. And that was a different generation when the economy was different. So I've had to, it's not that that's wrong, but I think that it's, it can be a little, um, naive in today's terms to just, just, you know, whatever, you know, like, I couldn't replicate sort of the house I grew up in. And um, everything I had as a kid, I couldn't replicate if I had the kind of whatever, you know, just do, do good work mindset. Um, So I've had to learn like, nope, you got to really step aside and say, okay, if I want to make some good money, I have to (laughs) make some (laughs) shifts. I have to actually try to do that. And, you know, the cost of real estate is so different. Like you have to be a little more strategic. Um, And definitely, I think what I want to impart to my daughter, and and I'm sure that, you know, the whole world will be completely different by the time she's an adult. But um, I think I want to be a little more realistic with her about money, how to make it, how to be entrepreneurial, how to not just rely on a job to give you everything, um, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I think that's interesting. You talk about the making a lot of money is gross belief system. And I think that's messed up a lot of us bringing that from, from childhood and not really knowing, especially as women is it okay if we make a lot of money or is that a bad thing? Do we, should we charge for our services? I have so many girlfriends that ask me those questions and that feel really stuck in this place of not knowing, is it okay if I actually make a lot of money?
1: Yeah, totally. And I also think it's such a, it's actually such a privileged um, statement to make, to be like, well, you know, trying to make a lot of money is gross. It's like, yeah, but you're only saying that not only, but sometimes that's coming from a perspective of you have enough. And so you don't like that other people are trying to have more. But um, for someone to even try to get what you have, like they might have to think about money a lot. So yeah, I think that um, I I do think that especially as women, um, you know, I, I suffer from this where I don't want to I don't want to become unrelatable. Like I don't want people to think that they don't relate to me because of how much money I make or, and also like, I feel like my, you know, my income could be so variable. Like next year, maybe I won't make very much money because I'm a solo business owner. Like, um, but yeah, I think that there's a lot of kind of relatability, Um, issues with being transparent about your money.
0: Well, clearly you've talked to a lot of people about money. And, you know, as we close here, I'm wondering, are there one or two different money questions that you think we all need to think about or come to grips with or to be honest with ourselves about uh, to, uh, to get in a better relationship with our own money?
1: Um. I one thing I always ask people is what does enough look like to you? And it's really interesting to hear how people answer because some people don't answer in financial terms at all, which I think is really revealing and great. Like they're like enough is having friends and family that love me and I have that, so I have enough. And other people are, uh, you know, I'm one of these people who has like two different tiers of enough. There's like <laughs> I have enough right now for sure. But you know what would be really great? <laughs> <laughs> um, looks really good. <laughs> um, so I think that that's an interesting question to ask yourself um, because it can put in perspective like maybe you do have enough right now and maybe you're okay and you don't need to kind of beat yourself up so much about not making more or it can reveal like just hey, you know, enough to me would be um, not having any car debt. Okay, so that's a very clear money goal to then go after. You know, if that's kind of the thing that would make you feel like you can breathe and sleep at night, then it's clarifying. So um, I don't think about money as only dollars and cents. Like It really is about if you're able to have a life that you generally like, um, that's ki- That's the, the biggest form of wealth, right, is, is to have your health and to have abundance in your family and friendships and all that stuff. So yes, money, <laughs> you need money to survive. But um, sometimes just being able to acknowledge like, you know what, I, I am good, um, is a nice way to maybe not obsess over money so much.
0: You may not want their money problems, quote unquote. I love this line from Maya. It's easy to think that the grass is always greener on the other side, but who's to say that your money problems are any better or worse than someone else's? I think the biggest takeaway is to be kind to yourself and to others. We're all out here. We're just trying to figure this money thing out. If you enjoyed our conversation, you're definitely going to want to check out Maya's podcast, other people's pockets you can listen to it anywhere that you love listening to podcasts also just a friendly reminder i'd love it if you could leave a review for the show if you haven't done so already you can head to the link in the show notes it'll make you super easy for you to pop over and leave a review and a huge thank you to our sponsors you can find links to all of them mentioned in this episode in the show notes i will see you right back here my friend in a few days for a brand new episode